I'd like to uh, welcome you all to this uh, Walter Rodney Memorial Lecture, which is being given tonight by Linton Crazy Johnson. We've had uh, many distinguished uh, uh, lecturers in this Walter Rodney series uh, since, it, since the lecture was instituted in 1985, including Professor Stuart Hall, Sir Trevor MacDonald, Carolyn Cooper, and a host of others. Walter Rodney uh, was uh, the most distinguished scholar, activist, a historian uh, in the Caribbean who was assassinated in 1980, in 1980 because of his fierce stance on, uh, on political and intellectual freedom. Linton Crazy Johnson has been an associate fellow at the Center for Caribbean Studies since 1985. And he's made many appearances at Warwick, often in a very charitable situation in that he would waive his fee, and not only that, but uh, donate whatever income uh, derived at the door to the Center for Caribbean <laughs> Studies. As, we, as you can imagine, the Center for Caribbean Studies has a very small budget. He's made many appearances at uh, Warwick, and I'm proud to say that once he escaped London when it was too busy for him and too crowded to come to the university to spend a week, and indeed in that week composed some poems which eventually ended up in his album, Things and Times. He was born in Jamaica in dot, dot, dot. He, 1952. 1952. <laughs> <laughs> Jamaicans have two birth certificates, I don't believe him. Uh, uh, studied at Goldsmiths College at the University of London, and among his many accolades is uh, the award of an honorary visiting professor, professorship at Middlesex University in 2005. Linton is the second living poet to be in the Penguin Classics series. Linton has asked me to be succinct, so I will, so I will then pass you on to him. Thank you. Good evening. Um, my association with work, uh, Center for Caribbean Studies, spans some two decades, as you've just heard, and I am honored to have been asked to give the Walter Rodney Memorial Lecture this year. Walter Rodney was a radical intellectual and revolutionary activist who I admired. We were both first published by Bogle Overture, uh, where I found his book, the Groundings with My Brothers. Um, in 1978, we met at the Cascadia Center in North London, where I worked as a library, education, and resource officer. During his brief visit to the Cascadia, we both read poems to the youth of the center. I guess a lot of people didn't know that Walter Rodney also wrote verse. This year, 2008, marks the 40th anniversary of the banning of Walter Rodney from Jamaica where he lectured in history at the University of the West Indies Mona campus. It was his extramural activities that led to the band. Rodney was inspired by the African consciousness he discovered amongst black Jamaicans in general and the Rastafarians in particular. An advocate of black power ideology of the time, Rodney began to give public lectures and conduct reasoning sessions or groundings uh, with these Jamaicans. In his account of his time in Jamaica, Rodney wrote, 
I had public lectures, I talked about black power, and then I went from the campus. I was prepared to go anywhere that any group of black people were prepared to sit down to talk and listen. We have to ground together. As a result of these groundings, the nucleus of a black power movement had begun to coalesce around Rodney. The Jamaican government, led by Hugh Shearer, took advantage of the fact that Rodney had left the island for a conference in Canada to ban him from returning to Jamaica. The student-led protests against the exclusion of Dr. Rodney turned into a riot after the protesters were tear-gassed by the police. As many as 50 buses were overturned and burnt, 14 fires were started in various parts of Kingston, shops were wrecked, stores looted, and people beaten. It was a measure of the impact that Rodney had on the African consciousness of urban Jamaica in the late 1960s. I think it is therefore apt that I should choose as my topic African consciousness, reggae, and diaspora. Um, basically, what I'm going to be doing is just playing some records and talking about them. Um, this, this lecture is based on a talk I gave with Paul Gilroy at my alma mater, Goldsmiths College, last year. Now, what do I mean by African consciousness? Simply an awareness of connected to the continent of Africa by its diasporas as ancestral homeland and identification with Africa. Stuart Hall identifies two approaches to African consciousness, cultural nationalists and Pan-Africanist imaginary. He opts for the latter because it is that approach which has kept the consciousness, or what he calls the connections, alive. I would argue that both find expression in reggae music. There is ample historical and anthropological evidence that the slaves who were taken to the New World from Africa brought Africa with them, that African traditions were interwoven into the fabric of their cultural lives. In his book, The Development of Creole Society in Jamaica, 1770 to 1820, Edward Kamau Brathwaite shows us that the orientation of the folk culture of the Jamaican slaves was decidedly African. He offers as evidence customs related to the life cycle, sexual and domestic unions, death, funerals and burial, religious ideas and practice, music, dance, and dress. Moreover, the Maroons, runaway slaves, had established autonomous communities where African traditions and cultural practices thrived. J Jamaican novelist and sociologist, Erna Broadburn, rightly asserts in The Continent of Black Consciousness that slavery negated the tribal consciousness of the transported slaves and produced an African consciousness instead. The African slaves in the New World were molded into one people, sharing many things in common, including identity. Slavery made them into Africans. Broadburn goes on to argue that this African consciousness provided the basis for the emergence of black political thought and action, which culminated in the emergence of black nationalist movements in the 20th century. Peter Tosh's song, African, provides a succinct expression. Provides a succinct, just 
Just a second, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do this, and then you start. <laughs> Peter Tosh's song, African, provides a succinct expression of African consciousness. Justice down in Zimbabwe. Young people are not used to vinyl. Tosh's song, African, provides um, a succinct expression of African consciousness. Tosh's definition of African is inclusive and all-embracing. It matters not what part of Jamaica you're from, what part of the Caribbean you're from, what shade of black you are, what church you're affiliated to, what country you're from. If you're black, you're African. Even before the emergence of reggae in the late 1960s, there were some expressions of African consciousness in Jamaican popular music. For example, during the era of ska, the visionary trombonist Don Drummond named one of his instrumental compositions Addis Ababa, after the Ethiopian capital, and another, the Reburial, in, re in reference to the re-interment in Jamaica of Marcus Garvey, the greatest and most effective political advocate of black consciousness. Prince Buster, in his famous talking tune, Judge Dredd, declares that he has come from Ethiopia to preside over the trial of rude boys in Jamaica charged with robbing and shooting black people. Buster's black nationalist sentiments can be heard in several of his recordings, including Blackhead Chinaman, where he castigates the singer Derek Morgan 
for leaving his table to go and record for a Jamaican Chinese producer. During the rocksteady period between ska and reggae, 1966 to 1968, we begin, we begin to get songs like Desmond Decker's Pretty Africa, expressing the sentiments of Back to Africa, of the Back to Africa movement and the Rastafarian demand for repatriation. Rastafarian movement and the alienation felt by the poor and marginalized youth of urban Jamaica ensured that the theme of repatriation would become a consistently restated one in many reggae recordings. Send I back to Ethiopia land, it is our father's land, Sila, sing the aptly named Ethiopians in one of their early recordings. In another song from the Rocksteady period, Bob Andy declares, I've got to go back home. couldn't be my home, cause I can't get clothes to wear, can't get no food to eat, I can't find a job to get bread. Nothing like a future here. 
The persona of the song threatens to commit suicide if he cannot leave. This sense of unbelonging and hopelessness rooted in the failure of the abolition of slavery to radically transform the lives of the former slaves and the material conditions of post-colonial existence for the poor and marginalized urban youth finds expressions in many songs. Over, two, over, two, uh, over a decade, rather, after Jamaican independence, during the turbulent 1970s, the Rastafarian singer Fred Locks finds inspiration in the ill-fated Black Star Liner Shipping Company, which Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association had established to transport New World Blacks back to Africa. Seven miles of Black Star Liners coming in the arbor, announces Fred Locks. For him, this is a vision of the fulfillment of Garvey's prophecy of freedom, its repatriation, black liberation, he chants. Marcus Garvey's currency had declined by the time of his death in 1940. As Colin Grant tells us, it wasn't until when crises hit the black world with the rise of the militant black power movement in the United States of America in the 1960s and the emergence of black leaders in Africa and the Caribbean seeking to forge new national identities that people started to think again of Garvey. Burning Spears Old Marcus Garvey was released around the same period as Fred Locks's Black Star Liners in the early to mid-1970s. By then, Garvey was not only one of Jamaica's national heroes, he was back in currency. But whilst Fred Locks reaffirms the Garveyite vision of African redemption, Burning Spear laments its betrayal. All of Jamaica's male national heroes are being talked about, uh, sings Burning Spear, but no one remembers old Marcus Garvey is the paradoxical refrain. Marco 
Nanny of the Maroons, Jamaica's only national heroine, is not mentioned in the song. Presumably, uh, no one remembers her either. <laughs> Some expressions of African consciousness in reggae take the form of statements of pride in African ancestry, like Johnny Clark's African Roots, for example, where he sings, We've been taken away from Africa more than 500 years, but one thing they couldn't take was the roots out of my mind. African roots just call me African roots. At the, at the heart of African consciousness in reggae music is the historical experience of slavery, its legacy of brutality, exploitation, marginalization, hopelessness, and centuries of colonial indoctrination of black inferiority. Do you remember the days of slavery? asks Burning Spear rhetorically in his song, Slavery Days. Charlie pull it, we pull it. Mm. 
included my sisters too. Bob Marley's invocation of the memory of slavery in Slave Driver is about retributive justice. Slave driver, the table is turned. Catch a fire, you're going to get burnt. Fire is still a very potent metaphor of retribution uh, in Rasta discourse. Like Marley's um, slave driver, songs like Peter Tosh's 400 Years, Burning Spears' Old Marcus Garvey, and Bob Andy's I've Got to Go Back Home are not just expressions of African consciousness, they also critique post-colonial Jamaica. Some expressions of African consciousness in reggae take the form of naming. For example, groups give themselves names like the Abyssinians, the Congos, the Ethiopians, and the Burning Spear. Some songs lament the loss of name, loss of identity. In Givai Fiai Name, Pablo Moses demands of the colonizer the return of his original African name, and he does so with humor.
you didn't get those words, um, it is take back your name and give I fear your name. I and I don't want this your name. Chinese name Chin and Chung, Macintosh came from Scotland. Indian name Raja Angavaska, I'm unsure Smith no come from Africa. <laughs> when I reach Ethiopia, I feel embarrassed after telling I Idrins I name Morris. Because the that is the name for each, a European, not the name of a black, black African. So take back your name and give I fear your name. I and I don't want this your name. Chinese name, Chin and Chung, etc. You know the name I have is not the correct one. It was given I by you, the Babylonians. It was not I wish to accept it. And I, I and I was forced by you to use it. So take back your name and give I fear your name. I and I don't want this your name, etc. Um, similarly, during the era of Ska, um, Lord Briner or Lord Lord Briner, in the topically titled Congo War, treats the theme of loss of name with irony. Africa becomes iconic and takes on a utopian dimension in some reggae songs. The group Third World, for example, mythologized Africa in their song Tribal War as a place that, where there was an absence of tribal conflict. The Abyssinians in Satamasa, Ghana, describe Africa as a land far, far away where there is no night, there is only day. Bonnie Whaler's Dreamland is perhaps the best example of African consciousness as utopia in reggae. I've heard 
so far across the sea. Surely we, we will never die. Um, rumor has it that although this song is credited to Bonnie Whaler, um, that it was in fact, or it bears a very close resemblance to a song that um, a white American um, singer had composed many years ago talking about um, some tropical idyll somewhere. But that's another story. When anti-colonial and anti-apartheid apartheid struggles were being waged in Africa during the 70s and 1980s, some expressions of African consciousness were couched in the language of Pan-Africanism. These were basically statements of solidarity, like the Abyssinians' South African enlistment, for example. If African are free, black man can't free, asserted the Twinkle Brothers in their song, Free Africa.
Africa Must Be Free by the year 1983, sang the youthful Hugh Mandel during the late 70s. There was Tapazuki's celebratory MPLA, alluding to the victory of the revolutionary forces in, in Angola during the anti-colonial war with its banal chorus, MPLA, not going on a holiday. Bob Marley's Zimbabwe celebrates the triumph of the liberation struggle in that country and calls for unity of purpose, a call he repeats in Africa Unite. Grooving to how I fall. 
Those were, just, those were just a few examples of the many varied expressions of African consciousness in reggae music. There was a marked decline in these expressions during the 1980s, which coincided with the, with the decline of roots reggae and the ascendancy of dancehall DJ ragamuffin music. In Jamaica, out went the People's National Party and Democratic Socialism, and in came the Jamaica Labour Party, IMF structural adjustment policies with slackness and gun talk in the dance hall. By the early 1990s, roots reggae began a tentative revival, and by the end of the 20th century, dance hall music had begun to reflect, once again, African consciousness through artists like Garnet Silk, Sizzler, Capleton, and Morgan Heritage and others. This revival was itself a reflection of a new wave of Rasta revival amongst the youth of Jamaica with the rise of the Baba Shanti Dreads, followers of Prince Emmanuel. The re-diasporization of New World Blacks in Europe, as Stuart Hall calls it, saw the establishment of a Caribbean diaspora in Britain. My generation developed not only a West Indian or Caribbean consciousness, we also developed an African consciousness. In racialized Britain, with the legacy of slavery which resulted in post-World War II migration and which still impinges on our lives, a continuity of consciousness was inevitable. In the same way that the slaves had brought Africa with them to the New World, black people brought Africa with them from the Caribbean to Britain. The Black Power Movement of the late 1960s and early 1970s was a political expression of African consciousness in Britain as well as a black working class movement. For second and third generation young blacks in Britain, reggae music was an important factor in the formation of new identities of unbelonging. Reggae music through sound systems provided a nexus for a culture of resistance to racial oppression. So expressions of African consciousness in Jamaica So Afri expressions of African consciousness in the Jamaican reggae we socialized around were an important influence. It also facilitated the growth of Rastafari in Britain. British reggae, too, reflected a continuity of African consciousness through bands like Aswad, Matumbi, Misty in Roots, Steel Pulse, and the DJ Maccabee. The success of Bob Marley and his elevation on the world stage had inspired a new generation of British roots reggae exponents. Although Lovers Rock, that particularly British genre of romantic reggae, continues to hold its own, by the end of the 20th century, roots reggae in Britain had begun to decline, and with it, expressions of African consciousness in the music of young black Britons. The technologically driven music of young blacks at the start of the new millennium seems to reflect more the realities of urban life and the dominant consumerist ethos of our time. This American-influenced ethos is also to be found in the music coming out of Jamaica. 
However, expressions of African consciousness still continue in reggae and dancehall music in Jamaica today. To summarize then, African consciousness is rooted in, Afri in the African slave trade, the historical experience of slavery and its legacy. A cultural dimension of this consciousness is its expression in reggae music. These are expressions of despair and affirmation, defiance and illusion, resistance and hope. The Jamaican diaspora in Britain facilitated a continuity of expression which influenced formations of British, black British identities. Whilst expressions of African consciousness declined in Jamaican popular music during the 1980s, it endures in the 21st century in Jamaica, but has declined in Britain. This decline reflects the demise of reggae as the dominant music of today's British black youth. That's it. Thank you very much, uh, Linton, uh, and uh, a special thanks to Stuart as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah. Now, we have um, time for about, uh, we've got about 10, 10 minutes for questions, and thereafter, uh, Linton would be happy to sign, if you come up, uh, he'd be happy to sign your books. I have to whisk him away at half eight. So we've got uh, 20, 25 minutes for questions, but also the book signing. That's too long. 20 That's too long? 20 minutes is too long? <laughs> It'll take you 15 minutes to sign the books. So let's have about 10 minutes of questions, two or three questions. Yes? Right. Um, I, I felt quite nostalgic hearing what you were saying, because I'm from 1959. I was born in Britain. But my accent isn't British. I, I born here, but grew up in Jamaica. From 1959 to 1979, I lived in Kingston, Jamaica, um, taught in the high schools here, etc. And I like the whole um, nostalgic journey you took us on in terms of reggae. But I'm coming from a different angle where I think you needed to go back one stage further. Um, I'm traditionally um, into folk music, and you'll hear people like Marjorie Wiley, Olive Lewin, and Hazel Ramsey who have done a lot of exploration in terms of the um, traditional African folk songs that, um, that the slaves, when they were coming for on the ship, and when they were working in the plantations um, in, in, in Jamaica, and in the whole of the Caribbean. Uh, and the songs of protests, um, social consent, social protest, um, and, and songs in their native <coughs> songs and language, which the African master didn't understand at all, what it's all about. Um, that too needs to be encapsulated in what you say, because that's where it all started from before where you started from to where we are now. And, we, but, and I think most of today's young people don't know these traditional Jamaican and, and Caribbean folk songs, which have been very much there to go on the internet. They're into MTV and YouTube and all of that. But there are these folk songs which we need to pass on generation to generation, passing down which my grandparents taught me. And I used to sing as Jamaican folk singers, and I know what I'm talking about here. I'd like to touch on some of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I take your point, uh, but um, my, my choice of topic was reggae. Yes. And uh, 
Um, I, do, I do understand that um, the, the expressions of African consciousness in our music precedes reggae. Uh, not only in the folk songs, in the, in the words of the folk songs, but in the actual um, musical forms themselves. When we, when we think about um, um, revival music, for example, uh, Kumina, um, Gere, Etu, um, and all these other, and other various other um, African forms that have um, been creolized in the folk culture. That's a tricky one. Um, what did I play? I think probably African by Peter Tosh, the first one, to remind me of who I am. Did you choose that when you were on this? On this? No. Do you think the demise in reggae in um, Britain now is because the uh, black generation here are sort of um, more removed from Africa in that they're both through time um, because the slave trade obviously no longer ago than uh, was in uh, the past and also because they've, it's sort of, um, I can't put this right, kind of twice removed so it's the Caribbean and then to Britain so um, they're in many ways further away um, culturally than the in a nutshell, yes. Um, but I would also like to emphasize that the biggest selling uh, band in the history of reggae music, and they're still continuing to sell millions of records, are a British band called UB40. Yep. My, my question is more of an opinion than a question. Um, it's more Well, um, I, really, I really couldn't say. I know that reggae music is perhaps the only original new music of the, of the second half of the 20th century, and it's, it's going to be around for, for a long time in the same way that the blues is going to be around for a long time. It's interesting to see that um, you know, um, the music has gone full circle, gone back to Africa. Um, you mentioned Lucky Dube. There's also people like um, Alpha Blonde, who sells an awful lot of records in Europe. Uh, he was, he's regarded as a, as a bit of a superstar. Um, and, but I think, you know, in the kind of globalized world where we live, you know, um, there, there, are no, there are no barriers, um, there are no borders um, for, for different cultures to influence each other. And um, I think, um, I don't know where reggae is going to go in the future, but uh, I think it's here to stay for some time. One other. 
I think just following on from the lady, uh, <clears throat> it's well understood that the, the material presented to us this evening sort of painted a picture of Africa as you talked about, using material from Reagan. But I, I would have loved if you also, you know, uh, introduced to the audience material coming from people like Lati Dubi who actually question the problems within Africa today. That it's not so much a utopia, I mean, there's pretty much lack of leadership in Africa, also problems, economic problems, also, which Lati Dubi especially has sung about. And I thought that uh, maybe that's, that's the gap you may want to consider in the next. No, I wouldn't consider it in the next presentation. Do you know why? Because if you listen to the title of the, of the, of the, of the talk, it's African Consciousness, Reggae, and Diaspora. Diaspora, which means Africa's dispersed children. Uh, well, let me end by thanking all of you for, for, for coming tonight to listen to Linton Kwesi Johnson. Um, I, let me thank uh, Cecily Jones, uh, Kerry Drakeley, Kerry Drakeley, Professor Gad Human, Lynn Macedo, and others in organizing this seminar. On Monday the 24th of November at 5 p.m., look out for the leaflets everywhere in the, in the university. We have a, 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 a seminar and a reading called The Poetry of Slavery with Stuart Brown, which is being held in honor of a, a colleague of ours who died recently from the University of Warwick, uh, Mike McLeod. So that's on Monday the 24th of November at five o'clock uh, in the Humanities Building. There'll be posters everywhere, so please come to that. Uh, when Linton is gone from the phone, I will thank him. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I will thank him for coming yet again to the University of Warwick, which I hope is his, is his academic home, not the University of Middlesex. Uh, or Goldsmiths. Or Goldsmiths. Uh, Goldsmiths, yes. Uh, but I thank Linton for uh, such a wide-ranging talk on, on reggae, on Africa as utopia, as on the memory of slavery and diaspora. And I take your points that you would like him to talk about other issues as well. But, you know, within, uh, within the um, limitations of, of a subject, uh, um, that, is what, that is what the lecture is. But it's terrific that people want more you know, more discourse, more research, more lectures. So I thank uh, Linton and I thank you all for coming tonight. And please, we've got 15 minutes for him to sign your books. I know you've bought uh, multiple copies, so please come up and get them signed. Thank you, Linton. This was recorded as part of the Writers at Warwick series at Warwick Arts Centre. For more information, please visit www.warwickartscentre.co.uk.